0: Gay SA Radio where you are family. In this series we listen to the discussions that were held during the South African LGBTI Business Summit setting an LGBTI economic empowerment agenda. The summit was held at the Equinox Centre at the Absa Capital in Santon in Johannesburg on Tuesday the 11th of September 2018. The purpose of this inaugural South African LGBTI Business Summit is to position LGBTI economic muscle in the business sphere by making a strong business case for the economic inclusion of LGBTI people, and by doing that, open up new business and other economic empowerment opportunities for LGBTI people. Discussions during the summit will demonstrate how this can be done, identify opportunities to make it happen, and craft strategies to overcome obstacles. In session five, The topic is Accessing Corporate Supply Chains. This breakaway session explored how corporate supplier diversity initiatives work and illustrate the practical challenges that LGBTI suppliers face in accessing supply chains, so as to draw out the fault lines between the two that need to be bridged. We apologize for the quality of some of the audio. Good
1: afternoon. My name is Sebastian Preston, so I work for a company called Shell in South Africa. It used to be called other names like Shell Marketing and Shell Refining, but we now officially, since 2016, known as Shell Thousand South Africa. Um, I'm a proud employee of that company, uh, purely because of the diversity and inclusionary uh, belief system that we have. Um, and so my role within Shell is kind of twofold. I am, what they would term in our global uh, quarters, the local content specialist. In South African context, it's basically your triple D E B. but I but also am a context and procure, or procurement manager looking after a few categories. One of them being dealer value proposition um, and our ATMs and, and banks, uh, that's what I look after. So today's topic, I, mean, I, I think this is, a, it's, I thought there would be more people, because generally when people think about access to corporates, that's where we want to get to, because it's like, how do I get in that supply chain? So I, I'm going to introduce my panelists. Um, that's going to be, you know, that you guys are going to, you're going to tell us, or you're going to tell them. Um, I'll just, I'll, I'll facilitate the session. We are missing one person, and I'm hoping that they will join shortly. So first, on what uh, we'll ask to join, um, is Lynn. Lynn is from e- EY um, and I guess before we start uh, she'll just give up a little introduction of what she does within EY uh, but we'll give her a round of applause please. Um, so as mentioned, my name
2: is Lynn Kieser, um, and I work for EY. I currently look after procurement most of the categories for Africa. Um, when I say most, basically the categories that aren't organized. <coughs> the local mm-hmm. categories of the um, so and one of the big focuses for um, of my portfolio is supply diversity as well as ensuring access to the right portals of suppliers and uh, and sort of getting <coughs> into the right areas. Um, so yeah, that's it. Thanks
1: for And next up I want to introduce someone. Actually, I met this person a few years ago. We interviewed him. I used to work for him. Um, and his name is Mr. Gary Joseph from the South African Supply and University <laughs> Council. A very important function of what they do, but he'll explain it more, better. I don't want to take the shine, I used to be on the other side. Uh, so he'll explain exactly what it is that they do and the good work that they, that they stand for. Yeah. Uh, Thank you, Sebastian. Good afternoon, everyone. And as
3: Sebastian mentioned, my name is Gary Joseph. I'm the Chief Executive of the South African Supply Diversity Council. We're a non-profit organization established in 2011. And um, since 2011, we've been operating um, through the work that we do with our corporate members to drive inclusion of black-owned businesses into their supply chains. Um, A lot of that is based upon um, sourcing and vetting black businesses uh, to ensure that they meet the credentials and the... Um, they hope it's required to start engaging with them. And another big com- component of that is supporting change management um, that needs to take place to enable the procurement environment to be more receptive towards including um, traditionally excluded
1: suppliers from, from the supply chain. Looking forward to today's session. Thank you, Gary. And then, last but not least, and the most important person we've been waiting for is Wat Latsy. Um He'll also form part of this panel discussion today, um, and I'll probably give over to him to introduce himself and basically just give us a snapshot of where he's from and what does he do. Um, do I have to stand? Yes, please. <laughs> um, good
4: afternoon. My name is Butlasi to I am. One of the founders of a company called Forfellows Communications. We are a content and communication solutions agency, uh, providing a variety of communication services from publicity to writing, editing, inventing, campaigning, digital communications, etc., etc., And uh, I think particularly interesting for this particular conversation is that the company from inception was founded by a group of, uh, so we fought for this communication, so we had four founders at the time who are all black and gay, Uh, but now it's only just myself we are still black and gay, and and that's just about it. Uh, I mean, we do a variety of things, one of the interesting things that we do currently Is we have a digital magazine that is targeted at black gay men. Uh, It's called Grandeur. It's a lifestyle offering and uh, it's very, very lovely, proud of it. And uh, we are currently actually working on Africa's first recognition list for African LGBTI people of influence that should be published within the next coming weeks. Um, So that's just about it. (coughs) Thank
1: you. So, so, Maybe to latch onto something. So, speak about supply diversity. And, and, and I'm going to start off a conversation perhaps to pose a question to Gary um, and Lynn, which is around when we look at supply diversity, we know globally, I mean, this is a phenomenon that started there, young circle. And there's certain things that, that they're very good at in terms of you know, managing supply diversity. When we think about supply diversity, and I heard about the previous discussion before we broke for lunch, was around When we look at diversity, unfortunately, the the African context, we generally look at it only from a race-based um, perspective. We only look at, are you black owned and are you black woman owned? And that's the new, you know, the new mantra, you need to be black woman owned in your company and, and then you exit the supply chain. But we don't go further than that. We don't look at the other components. When we speak about the code, about designated supplier spend, I think even uh, under the procurement element, they've got uh, targeted. It's 2% of your spend should go towards designated suppliers. But the the designated suppliers who they've included is the same, almost the similar ones of what we're trying to target. So there's no uh, uh, viewpoints given to or recognition given to sexual minorities in terms of how we include them. So, and and that is one of the the, the situations that we have in South Africa. So, when we look at a global uh, uh, program, I mean, we look at Accenture, we look at EYs, we look at Shell globally, we look at all the other global companies and get there at the forefront. So, Gary, perhaps from your perspective, what is it that we can do in the South African context? We know what exists there. We also know we can't copy and paste and just bring what's there and just dump it in. It's not going to work. We have to customize it and have it in such a way that it would work. But in your viewpoint, I mean, you've worked and you have this linkage with the NMSDC for the, I mean, Gary will explain what is, is. You know, how do you think we can get across and, and get <coughs> over, you know, in some of these hurdles that we have currently? Well, I think one of the first problems that we face um, as a country is that we, we tend to
3: drive change in outcomes. Through policy and regulation and that becomes the focus of what, what people do. Um, if you look at supply diversity and its practice as it's matured over time globally um, it's driven by a business case and we fail to see the business case around the inclusion of excluded parties into our, our not just our supply chains but our entire value chain. Um, we do not want to drive the change um, on the back of the business case because there's the risk of not using compliance. So the, the, the challenge that we, that we sit with and the way in which we have to address it is, is around big change management drive. The fact that diversity in itself, whether it's in your supply chain, whether it's in the workplace, that it's, it's the appreciation of difference and valuing of that difference because from that difference comes value in itself. Where we start looking at ways in which we are only tolerating what that difference has to offer. And we've got mechanisms in place whereby that tolerance is released. Um, but there's business value. And we've got a lot of business value within our country that, is, that remains untapped. Because we do not see the value in that difference. And we do not deliberately go out to find ways in which we can tap into that difference through strategies like supply diversity within corporate supply chains. Um, re- other parts of the world, multinational companies are seeing that value. They are counting the pink red, mm-hmm. and they are counting the, uh, the, the black red. Um, and they are saying, but um, how do we leverage our supply chain in order for us to provide better solutions um, to, to our customers? in ways that gives us competitive advantage because our suppliers drive value besides just providing us with goods and services. They are a resource to tap into. And those companies that embrace that, you start seeing it um, through everything that they do, through their marketing, their, their advertising, um, through their involvement in organizations um, such as this, their involvement in platforms such as this, Which is why you have the the, the Accentions and the EY and Shell, who drives these type of programs globally, being present here today, in the absence of there being policy or regulation (coughs) requiring them to be here, because there's a value that is being driven. And and that's that's a challenge that we face, and something that we need to start addressing collectively. Um, My organization focuses on the inclusion of black-owned businesses in the corporate supply chains. But the methodology that you apply is not only for black businesses. It's actually a, a methodology that you would apply for the inclusion of any isolated or marginal <coughs> sector of, of, of society, where there's a deliberate approach and a strategy to include them because of the value that you want to take from them. So even though our beneficiaries are black-owned What the work that we do, we advocate around supply diversity, is around inclusive procurement practices because there's business
1: value to that into. Thank you. Lynn, from from your perspective, when when we look at, you know, globally, EUI, locally in South Africa, uh, we do know, and and, and this is a fact, and it's not your company, it's just generically how things are. There's an unconscious bias when procurement official sits and he makes a decision of, how is he going to buy, and who is he going to buy from? It's it's there, you know. And, and the question I generally have is this: What do we as companies do, you know, as uh, to foster this the, the supply diversity uh, mantra as a gospel of how we include others in, into our supply chains? But what can we do to, to assist with the progression thereof, um with, with bringing diverse suppliers um, first of all, so that we. But the second point is also how do we, as corporates, inculcate or have some sort of change management programs that runs as part of the DNI? Because I sometimes think when we look at DNI, we you know there's a as a process and there's a customized process to it, but we don't go deeper enough. We don't look at it when when in, in other aspects. You know, and is there perhaps how do we how do you think we could go about you know from a DNI perspective focusing on. You know, ensuring that we bring others in, uh, so that we can make sure that our supply chains are reflective of a broader society, mm. not just on a racial uh, aspect alone. You know,
2: you know uh, it's such a good question, and it's a difficult question to answer because we're all governed by this BDE code, yes. um, and we all have to make sure that we spend a certain amount of money with African black-owned businesses yes. African black woman-owned businesses. And it's working beautifully for the racial factor in South Africa. But as you say, it's not doing anything for the other sort of designated or or minority groups. And part of being a responsible corporate citizen, I think the companies like E1, Accenture, Shell, um, have taken it a step further to understand that my presence in a market has to be reflective of the market that I'm in. What I'm doing in the market needs to reflect... the. The, the community that, the market, that my business is in. Um, so, you know, the stance that we take is that we have to be a responsible employer to make sure that we are employing what is available to us and what, you know, the, the, the statistics of the market. Um, and we need to make sure that it's an environment that's comfortable enough for people to be, as I was discussing earlier, themselves in that environment. The problem that we face is it's not legislated. So it is Motivation from within and it's generally motivation from our global firms. So our global companies will have Targets that we need to reach and actually one of the one of the main challenges that I find is I need to So my global firm will say how much have you spent this year on LGBTI owned businesses? And I'm like, I haven't asked them if they're LGBTI or not. You know, Mm -hmm. how how do I just tell you that? I know I want to include them. I know I want them in my supply chain but it's a very awkward question for yeah. me to ask. So I'm going to sit in front of the supplier yes. and I'm going to say, I want everybody to be included. I want the right suppliers to so have access to this project. And I can see that this is black woman owned and I can see that this is female owned. I'm, You know, what do I say to <laughs> the LGBT side? So it's very difficult unless we have a forum like this, like this. Yes. And it's, I'm so excited about this <coughs> because it has been something that... we. I've worked with, EY worked with the SASTC for ages. Mm-hmm. We've worked with the woman owned business, Reconnect, for ages. Mm-hmm. So we've got that down pat. Mm-hmm. And the one area that we were struggling and that we reached out to the other foundation and said, what are you doing in this front? We, how do we access your suppliers? How do we access your supply chain? And, then <coughs> that's um, and, and since then, I'm so excited. So I can now make, my conscience is slightly more at ease that I can now access. Mm-hmm some of those businesses? So it's forums like this that we need and it's this sort of movement that we need um, for corporates to be able to access these businesses. It's so difficult for a procurement individual to say I, I want to include everyone where do I even start looking? Mm-hmm. I know certain businesses are big players in the industry but I don't even know if they're LGBTI LGBT friendly or not mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't know what's within them so as I said I'm very really excited about Plus and so our, our procurement process has set, um, whenever we have a supplier approach us directly, that's another thing. It's very difficult for procurement to, you know, we get direct market approaches all the time. So suppliers come to us and say, I mean, you'll know, <laughs> I've got this great product, yes. I want to sell it to you and whatever. And we're like, it's a great product, but we don't need it right now. Mm. It's, so, it's so difficult to say, just sit on the back burner, come to me when you when need it, because. How they are they going to know? How are we going to know? You have to keep relationships that are, may not be fruitful. So it's difficult. Um, so what's nice about this is the plus is doing that for us. They're going to manage these relationships for us so that when the need does arise, I can get there. I can get to the right suppliers. And I'm, and I'm not going to string you along for years, making you think that there's possibly a relationship going to form, um, but I'll, I'll get to you when I need you, which is important for us. Um, so, so part of our procurement process is that we have made sure, every time we have an RFP or an RFQ or any type of project that we want to run, we access these forums, being women-owned, um any other sort of business networks that we can hold, get hold of as one's well as plus. Um, and they refer businesses to us who we can then include. And it's also very important to know that these businesses get equal opportunity to every other business that is included. It's not a fact of you're going to get the work because you're part of this network. It's You're going to be exposed to it because you're part of this network, but you still have to be able to deliver on the same level that we ex- would expect. Um, and then when we get supplier approaches, we can also then direct them to say, here's some networks. If you find that you relate to some of these, connect yourselves and get yourselves on there because that's what I'm going to go looking for. So that's, yeah.
1: Thanks. I, I think one of the the, the beautiful things, and, and I know Plus and the had some conversations around to see how it could work, because you're right, I mean, many small businesses come to a corporate and say, we're ready, we can supply you with a product. And sometimes, it's just not an opportunity. Sometimes, what the strategy was, six months ago, would have changed uh, because of market factors development and changes, you know, and I might not need it now. Um, and that's why I believe that an ecosystem like an SSD, like a Plus, you know will help all businesses because there is a procurement uh, 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 opportunity, opportunity between all those supplies can also take place. I know we all want the big ticket, we want the, the gold on top, but sometimes we, we have to mine you know, the charcoal because it's black gold. It might not be nine carat yellow gold, but at that point in time, that's the opportunity. And as gradually as the opportunity comes around, you know, that's when you can access the opportunities. But I just want to, Matlatsi, from your point of view, you know, we have in South Africa the dawn of democracy. We have a narrow-based code. Then we get uh, 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 the uh, codes of good practice, which was, <coughs> oh, this, no, this is the thing that's going to take this country forward. In between, we had an NDP. I don't know where we're sitting with it. And the standards associated with that. Then we've got an amended codes of good practice. And in between all of that, I mean, is going to do all of that right now, there are sector codes that's coming up that's got, whew, it's got requirements of note that I don't even know how we're going to get, you know, at least to meet them. And the objective is not to just meet these, because otherwise we're going to end up like a matriculant, which is a sad thing in this country, where we have 30%, and that's, because that's what you do if you just want to meet the requirement. And, and there's nothing, and there's nothing to, to go for, to achieve, uh, to go for higher. But in your viewpoint, I mean, you just spoke when you introduced yourself, saying, you know, how this company started and what you're doing. Do you feel there was an unconscious bias, and do you still think there's an unconscious bias towards sexual minorities when legislation is crafted? You know, because it's not like no one knew that there's an LGBT community that existed. Government can't tell me they never knew about these things. Corporate sector can only, like Lynn rightfully says, be (coughs) responsible what's there, because guess what, you can fill them with your license is going to be revoked if you don't meet X, Y, and Z, so you get strict targets. You need to spend 12% of your spend on EMEs and QSEs. Yeah. So it becomes a very difficult exercise to engage. What's your viewpoint, you know, in terms of procurement culture? You know, how easy is it for you to get in there? What's your view? Do you feel that we've left you behind this community, behind it, in terms of... We always think about the afterthought, you know, oh, by the way, there's someone else. What's your viewpoint? Okay, so what I didn't say in, in,
4: in part of my intro <coughs> is that I... I I'm a lawyer, so
1: one of the things that... Obviously I was watching I say, no, <laughs> I should watch what I say now. I should watch what I say now. No, <laughs> no, no. I'm still the
4: MDO for Fuller's Communications for purposes of this conversation. Okay. But, uh, and one of the things that obviously you, you kind of get to learn as, as a law student and as a lawyer in practice is obviously the history of the law in the country. And the law in the country, the jurisprudence in this particular country, has always been where at least LGBTI people are concerned, has been that the LGBT community has always, been, has always had to at least approach government and say, we feel excluded on this, we feel excluded on that, we feel excluded on that, a bit of like a, you know, a fight between government, if it's home affairs where marriages are concerned, or whatever other department that's concerned with, uh, in that particular instance. And I think what hasn't happened with LGBTI uh, entrepreneurs or business people is there hasn't been an, an attempt to stretch Section 9 to the benefits of, of LGBT entrepreneurs. There hasn't been anyone who says, I feel BE as, yeah. as, as, a, as, as a legislation you know, excludes LGBTI people because then you're setting it against uh, Section 9 So there hasn't necessarily been that. So we can't say off the cuff that government hasn't necessarily been. If you are to rely on the history of the country, you can't say off the cuff, then government hasn't necessarily been corrected because government has never been corrected to start with. Yes. So it's, oh, it's, then it's a question of, do we have people who want to take up the course of, let's advocate for the inclusion of LGBT people in this, in this, in, this, in that? So do we then start saying, can we change, can we amend the triple BEE, uh, as an act to then say part of the uh, the grounds that people can you know the benefits of uh, uh, appointing certain suppliers should be uh, on the basis of section line three that sexual orientation is there, but then the challenge then becomes always uh, happens when you start then breaking down LGBT or then it gets messy because then you then start saying but if we're saying we are including women. So when we start seeing women, I'm including transgender women when we say women are going to give uh, certain companies uh, certain points. And then when we start looking at people, suppliers, do people then ask, like Lynn has said, do you, are you going to ask uh, this woman who comes into a boardroom who's dressed in a masculine presenting manner, if they're lesbian. So the other question, I think, what people generally don't ask themselves is, and this is what people always say to me in business, people work with people they like, people work with people they sleep with, people work with people that they can get along with. And then, so often what happens is, and I've seen this in my case, I get work from friends, I get work from women that I meet with and we gel, I get work from other gay men that, you know, we pick up cues and we can socialize and all of that. So then, when you find yourself with, a, say, a very traditional Zulu man who is from rural KwaZulu, and you know, and I'm making a very, 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 very sad uh, stereotype, um, when you find yourself in a room with that particular person and you're presenting your case, and then that person might necessarily not, they might not be homophobic, but they might not be oriented in the kind of way that someone, uh, you know, that I've worked with might be. So then, the question then is, do I go in the first? Uh, educate them and then sensitize them around uh, the politics of being LGBTI because it's going to be the elephant in the room if we go on working together and then after that I then uh, educate them around the work that I'm going to be providing them with so then what then needs to happen I would think is within transformation charters or diversity plans whatever the case is within uh, our different entities should then be the question is are we going to start educating everyone in the company then to say uh, does everyone understand what this is Do we understand that you are likely to find yourself dealing with an LGBT supplier and sadly I think I navigate the world much better as a gay man because men seem to get away with a lot of things and then I think you know lesbian women will then follow in terms of how they navigate the world especially the commercial world but I think you know, transgender people don't necessarily have the same kind of benefits. So they'll be so then the 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 wall is, as OBTI people, we might find ourselves restricted from our own ends. So I will feel if I go into an office and I'm transgender, the first thing I need to do is explain to people that I'm transgender and then after that we then start talking about the work. So I'm avoiding doing that, because I'm already doing that everywhere else I go. I don't want to have to do that when I go to work or with people I'm going to be working with. So what I choose to do is I just don't even engage in, in, in entrepreneurship. So then the challenge is basically, and I, you know, um, I speak from a very, very privileged uh, place, the challenge is educating you know, suppliers. But then even as we educate suppliers, Uh, suppliers need to want to be educated. But then the thing is, because suppliers are forced by legislation the E or the EA or whatever the case is, to want to understand certain differences and therefore comply with them so they will want, they they don't even need to want to, they have to because ultimately your your bottom line is impacted by your compliance with the so there isn't necessarily that kind of push from a supplier point of view and suppliers will say, We've tried. Yes. You know, we have a network within the company, we've tried and they're not there. And also we feel like it's a bit awkward to ask people if they're, if, you know, they're gay. And whether it's awkward or not, I don't know. I've never had to go into a meeting and be it's asked if I'm gay or you know or not. Uh yeah, so I don't necessarily know if it's uncomfortable for a supplier to answer that kind of question. But then I also feel like I do. I, there's always the argument of am I getting the work firstly because I'm black and I'm gay or I'm getting the work because I can do the work and over and above that I'm black and I'm gay. I've never had to deal with that, unfortunately. I've always had to deal with it because I'm black and it works for them. Great. Right. But you know, I don't think uh, suppliers generally engage in that kind of argument to so say, uh, "Are we doing enough to engage LGBT people as suppliers?" I also say, I mean, I get a lot of work where clients want to reach out LGBT people. So they hire an LGBT person to speak to LGBT people. I think mean, it makes sense, but at the same time, uh, yes. uh, you know, so, and obviously because I work in PR, so they'll say, we need to launch an event for LGBT people. We, you know, government is always trying to, I do not work with government, so government will say, we want to reach out to LGBT people because we've got this particular policy or we want to comply with other and we hire LGBT people to do that. Great. But then the private sector doesn't have that. Correct. So they don't have a, we feel like we're missing out on uh, the grants. They're like, we're already spending our money. They're already spending money, so why must we do extra to get them? The money's already there, it's been spent. So it's not like people are saying we are not going to spend money on certain products or certain uh, entities because they're not representing us in their marketing campaigns or they're not representing us in how they communicate to people. So, you know, there's all of those things. And um, I, mean, I enjoy the benefit of being gay and having to do work that addresses gay people. I earn my money, it's great. But then I don't necessarily think uh, non lgbti people would not be able to do the work. And, and non-LGBT owned business can hire one LGBT consultant and still do the work as well as I possibly could in my own company. So then the question is, how do we then ensure that you know, LGBTI people do the work that's part with LGBT people, but also we get to do the other work that's not necessarily directed to LGBTI people. I mean, accounting is not about being LGBTI, but then there are LGBT accountants, there are LGBT lawyers who don't work in human rights work, who do commercial law, so how do they start getting those people involved without necessarily saying, uh, you know, you're going to be reliant as well on a platform like PLUS. So in the absence of
1: PLUS, then what happens? So, so so, so, the question then is, do we, does it mean that there is a case in the current legislation that we have to then build on it to include deliberately? Because you have to re-engineer, unfortunately, you yeah. know, like you said, you a you bitch um, and you have the lines of the networks. But you must also be careful that to make a statement or generally, I know it's not what you mean, but, you know, people work who they like or work with people who they like and who they're comfortable. Um, not so long ago where the president voted people who he was <laughs> with And we know it doesn't work it, it, it's, it's, not, it's not good. No, just, just from the human perspective, it is not good. For understanding from an economics point of view, it's not good. So it, it, it's clear that we need to re-engineer <laughs> what's currently there for the inclusion. The question that we have is now, I'm going to come to Gary now and ask. He spoke about the assessments or the process that, he ha- that, that you guys have. No, I'm familiar with the process, but the process that you have in terms of looking at the inclusion of all businesses, you know, because that is the main question. How do you determine? Because it, uh, some people don't want to, I mean, I wouldn't, if, if some people are comfortable to say, I am, I'm Sebastian and I'm gay or I'm transgender, mm-hmm. but I can't, I can expect everyone else to, to have the same, mm-hmm. um, uh, same belief system to, to, to want to put it out. It doesn't mean that they embarrassed with who they are. But there needs to be an element of how do we verify and then what's the mechanism thereof to still ensure that we protect people's dignity and their rights accordingly yeah. um, in that. So from your perspective, I mean, from best practice in terms of what you're exposed to, what do you think what's the best ways of engaging and making sure we bring in a marginalized communities? Well, let
3: me first mention two things. The first thing um, I can associate with what you said. When I needed to fill a position within my organization, the best candidate, which we eventually appointed, was a a transgender individual. But the person really did well in the interview, and we could see that we would get the value that we needed to get out of that role. My fear was, how would that person be accepted within the community of black-owned businesses that we would expect this person to engage with? because of traditional African values um, and and the impact that that has had on societal pressures for, for, for especially African men to come out and disclose comfortably um, what their sexual orientation is. We're having a conversation with, you know, with members of my management team. The first thing that we, that, that we agreed upon is that we don't need to provide protection to that individual. They're able to manage. It. They're strong enough to do it if that circumstance arises. But the more important thing is that we needed to actually be strong around The issue that our values as an organisation is around inclusion, and therefore we need to support that inclusive practice and ensure that in everything that we do, that we are supporting that that um, that value system. Fortunately for us, we didn't have any. Pushback um, or any circumstances. And if there was, um, my, my colleague actually managed it without needing to escalate, uh, requiring my attention. But I thought, let me just mention that because there's also that dichotomy around um, African and, and black issues of blackness and Africanness and LGBT um, communities. And you know, that kind of Let me get the second thing. Legislation doesn't necessarily solve the problem. And this is a lesson that has been learned. You mentioned earlier that the journey of supply diversity started quite some time back and It started through legislation that was passed um, in the US under the Nixon administration in response to um, riots and, and, and social uprising within your traditional um, underprivileged and, and uh, overpopulated um, African-American uh, parts of, of, of the US, particularly places like Chicago. And the US government came in with um, regulations that within, within their procurement contracts above a certain value that there would be a 10% requirement of that contract value um, being spent with uh, at that stage, um, the target was African American businesses um, and, and referring to them as diverse suppliers. So, that 10% target was a punitive target that was implemented at the transactional level. Unlike BEE, which tends to be a reward at the beginning um, with no consequences, um, if, if that standard is not upheld or is not visible as part of the direct impact of a procurement relationship between a corporate and a supplier. But what has happened over time, because of lobby groups, interest groups, and the number of minority sectors of society within the US, there are organizations that have come up like um, the We Connect, like um, um, the equivalent of Push in the US. But guess what? the definition of supply diversity in, uh, increased um, to include more groupings. But what did not increase was the 10% target. So what you find now is that the compliance standard hasn't changed, but the crumbs are being spread more amongst diverse groups. And we have to tread carefully around not going in that direction. So to come back to what you said saying, an important element of what we need to drive is the fact that inclusive practices um, presents everyone with the opportunity to put their best forward. And without looking at who you're trying to target, just by practicing an inclusive approach to workplace, to procurement, um, even to succession planning within your own organization, just by practicing that and giving access to that opportunity without the unconscious biasness being set in, you actually will extract the most value that you can get. And you would need to have targets set. The unfortunate thing is that there's a long journey that you need to travel on. Because there are still old business models, old ways of thinking that are exercised on a day-to-day basis within corporate decision-making processes. And we need to actually break down those cultures and introduce new cultures that embraces what we are trying to achieve. So I don't think that more legislation will necessarily bring about the change. More legislation is just going to result in more deceit. It's just going to result in more ways in which people circumvent what is needed to be done Um, around being a more representative and an inclusive society. When we do our certification, one of the things that we are now starting to grapple with is the issue of disability. Because companies would also like to know what is the disability ownership status of the supplies that you are certifying. But certainly disabilities are not (coughs) physically visible. Yes. So do you go and now say to someone that suffers from chronic depression and anxiety, which is also deemed as a disability, um, that they have to disclose it? When they know that there are discriminatory practices that takes place, not because there's a rule that says you must discriminate against people like that, but it's actually the practices of the individuals who have a limited and a view of their world when it comes to people of that, that, that are different. So legislation is not going to cure that. We've got to change the fabric of our society. We've got to change the individuals that are part of this decision-making. And it's through dialogue like this that that can happen. I always believe that business is emotive, whether we like it or not. Unfortunately, people that get ahead are those that take the emotion out of business. But the business of the future is an emotive business. And consumers make decisions based upon emotive factors. Unfortunately, the less you have, the more you are driven by the emotion of not having enough to afford what you want. But at some point in time, things will change. We've got to be strong advocates around driving that change within our workplaces, within everybody that we interact with, in order to see that change. Because we've got to just be comfortable with the fact that we are all different. And through that difference, we can actually generate much better returns to each and, other. And where you find yourself in is the difficult situation of tapping into those networks where you know that there's a receptiveness, not because of who you are, from a sexual orientation, from the colour of your skin. But someone has actually taken the time to get to know you and to put a value on what you have to offer. And that's what people want. And, and if we can get a society that cherishes that, we will start seeing a big difference in our country. And we'll start seeing more inclusion that drives better choice for me as a, as a consumer. Because I would love to have more choice. I would love to ensure that I get better value. At this stage, I don't believe that there's enough value being driven through corporate procurement processes. I think we are price takers, and we end up actually paying for all of those discriminatory practices that are part of day-to-day business decision making, whether it's hiring people, or whether it's appointing suppliers to do pieces of work.
1: That exclusion costs us. Thank you again. It's actually a very sobering point that you've made. Learn from your perspective. You know, we are corporates. You know, and in the and, and I hear what Gary says about adding more legislation because we see, you know, we can't even police the basic things that we have already. Mm. I mean, now we're not even in the smoking law as well. So, how in the confinements, you and I, when we sit in this, in our offices, in our air-conditioned offices, how do we touch the lives of those minorities uh, who's been excluded? You know, how do we ensure that we show that our supply, devel- our supply diversity, uh, which is targeted procurement, plus, you know, the development of its suppliers. How do we, how can you and I facilitate the inclusion of those people? But not only those, because there's also the, the conundrum, and I've raised this before many times, and I say, there's some who have access to a network like PLUS, or to the SSDC. What about the thousands and the others, and actually the millions, that sits in a toatua, <coughs> Orlando they don't have access to the same network um, for whatever reason it might be. How do, how can we, without resources, touch those lives to get to find some way of mechanism to get them into the mainstream? Because many of them they are black, they are outcast out of the families because of their choices, and so they bear the brunt three or four times more than others. So from your perspective, I mean, is there anything? What else can we do over and above using the current mode of what's there to include others?
2: Um, you know, it's so difficult because, as you say, we sit in our aircon offices and we know there's processes that we need to follow and there's avenues for us to take to make sure that we reach out our targets and that's the thing. And what's, when we look at the rural areas, the reality is whether they are gay, female, lesbian, whatever, their access is limited regardless. So, you know, accessing them has to be a conscious decision. It needs to be something that an organisation or a corporate needs to consciously decide, we're going to try and access the rural areas or the rural um, sort of small businesses. So it goes far beyond just this forum. You know, there's, there's a sense of responsibility as a corporate citizen or as a kind of responsible employer, to be able to access those sort of markets. Um, there's there's um, mechanisms that I know EY uses, and I can't speak for any other um, corporates, but there's mechanisms that EY uses where we do reach into the rural areas and we offer our advice and expertise to tiny little businesses. One, a farmer that has half a hectare that's trying to grow spinach for the local markets and that's sort the of thing. we are able to access them and offer our expertise at zero cost um, to help them grow and just to get their books straight or just to help them access funds or whatever. Um, So, you know, there's those sort of mechanisms that you can use as as a corporate citizen, a responsible corporate citizen. Those sort of things can't be legislated. It's it's not something, we can't rely on legislation for that sort of thing. Um, Unfortunately, the nature of capitalism is that it is down to the dollars and cents and if we can't and and now I'm talking specifically of the the LGBT side if we can't prove our worth in this market if we can't lack the the value of the pink brand, if I can't go and sit in front of my CEO and say did you know that you're actively not tapping into this, this market, we're not doing enough to incorporate this into our way of thinking and that sort of thing which EY is doing more than most, EY is like award-winning um, uh, and <laughs> yeah,
0: no, I'm sick we don't
5: have time that we don't engage so I'm just a bit concerned we are two minutes left okay. and um,
3: so uh, we'll go we'll yes if I can't
2: sit in front of my CEO and give him a proper business case as to why we need to go in this direction he needs to think about the reality of running a business and um, and I disagree with some of the stuff that was said earlier. Is that 90% is, is um, not LGBT friendly, the 10% is. It doesn't mean I'm going to lose the 90%, but I have to make sure that I'm taking advantage
1: of the 10% as well. okay So, yeah. Thanks. Um, you know, can we perhaps have a few you know, discussions? About, uh, There's <laughs> the one
5: burning one, which is the, I think, an elephant room to start this conversation and the reason why I came to this discussion was about accessing supply chains. Okay. Now, at the end of the day, for me, as a, since everything has been said, um, barring the gentleman in the middle, okay, everything that the UI said, I think I agree with it, 20% from a principal point of view and the direction they're taking, which I wish a lot more corporates and companies would take. However, um, from a South African supply Diversity Council, I have a fundamental problem. Because then you should change your brand to be the Black South African Supplier Diversity Council. Because, because you're kind of really uh, blatant saying we are a council looking after black diversity. Then it shouldn't be a South African Supplier Diversity Council because you should be looking after the interests of all South Africans and all previously as individuals of beyond colour. Okay? And I'd like to know what is then the South African Supplier Diversity Council strategy Going forward, or is there a strategy, or situations to look at, or prod corporate South Africa, um, or government? Because obviously, as an NGO, etc., you obviously cut across when you supply and services to your your members. Okay, but obviously, engage you also engage with corporate Africa, whether some of your members or not, and government. What is then your strategy in what we had, what we're discussing here? Okay, um, which is not just a uh, flowery diversity issue because obviously I have an issue kind of I uh, two caps whereby obviously issue diversity and inclusion. The first quarter call is the, the historic discrimination of being black, a black a black person in business and access to to supply supply chain environment, etc. But then there's also the other side for being from an LGBTI community and. If there's a council that's meant to look after diversity, surely to stand and say we are just looking after black diversity, that means that how much has been done to look after diversity in South Africa, as the organization's name says. It's a bit of a problem because everything else that's been said here has not actually addressed the elephant in the room from a diversity council perspective of this diversity. You know and I'm saying beyond on a nice fluffy way that we know as from where we stand from that diversity means A, B, C D, but it's all very nice words. But practically, is there a strategy that the South Korean Supply Diversity Council has, as much as EY has and Shell has or whatever, to actually address the elephant in the room? Because I haven't had that, I haven't heard that at the moment. And if you are the diversity council or entity, the NGO that looks after such within the country, there needs to something, a strategy, in terms of this level of diversity. So, so before you answer, is
1: there perhaps another question from the... Uh, uh, to...
6: Well, no, maybe it's a, sort of a new topic. I don't know. No, that's fine, because then we can okay. get to them. um So uh, just in the beginning, um, uh, you were talking, so all the questions are coming to you, you Gary. Mm-hmm. But you were talking about saying in other countries they're counting the pink rand, etc maybe some ideas on how it's being counted uh, because a lot of issues came up about data this morning and then secondly um, are you maybe, and I think it's linked to the the question here are you maybe saying developing some kind of a code of conduct for businesses that would want to be certified as LGBT or whatever um, and is that something that has to come through government and regulation or can it come from the, the sector and and, and and be presented. So yeah, uh, okay. can we explain yeah, yeah, just before you go? Just, just okay. just before. The, from my side, I just need to. It's a suggestion that you know when you approach procurement departments, especially in the corporate world, where you have a project that involves LGBT, most of the time they actually don't consider such things. Um, I would maybe suggest that within your rank create a space of reviewing these projects because there's parallel you know, if you look at projects that are done <coughs> there is so many companies that are sponsoring such events and when you come to South Africa and you have such a project it just gets turned down it's like they will ask you what is it mm. in force?" things like that so maybe companies like yourselves need to review as to how do they actually access this market what kind of projects that they can involve themselves in that would actually give them the opportunity to have access to that. I have a
7: question. Okay. Um, so I'm speaking from Accenture's enterprise supply development um, point of view in that um, we recently did a call um, for new beneficiaries to be part of the program. Um, so my question is to to um, so, um you being a supplier, how how would you how would you give advice to a corporate when onboarding a supplier from the LGBTI community? Like, I feel like it's still a sensitive topic. Um, we did a call out, like I just mentioned now, but we realised we missed. Tapping into the playground, right. and we would love to do that. Yeah. It's huge,
2: it's huge, but we missed the opportunity.
3: Okay. Yeah, so where's it? A couple of things, um, on, the, on the issue of the South African business. I kind of so, put context to, to why our focus is on background owned businesses. Um, it's because that at the stage where we were founded. And that, that was a burning platform. And we've been trying to drive the discourse of the business benefit of transforming supply chains and the benefit that that can do to address the levels of inequality um, and prejudice that we have in the country. When we, part of what we do, so we're not an organization that is focused on fixing what's wrong with black business. They use capacity building because there's a knowledge gap. There's an information gap. But part of what we do is do capacity building of our corporate members. And the capacity building that we do of them is around methodologies and practices around supply diversity as a practice. Not supply diversity for the for, for benefit of black businesses, but supply diversity as a practice. Because that's what you need to enable your procurement environment. It's a different approach due to, due to the way in which you buy, it's a different alignment of that strategy towards supporting an overall business strategy instead of it just being a buying function. So the methodologies and about eighty percent of what we do is just doing. But where the demand lies was around being able to source incredible and qualified qualified black businesses. And we've all been saying that they are out there. The problem is that you're not looking for them. And corporates say but we don't know how to find them. So we help them to find them. We strike partnerships with organisations such as we can, because there's the issue of gender, there's the issue of racial democracy. there's the issue of sexual orientation, there is the issue of ageism. There's the issue of uh, um, what business, kind of, business, business size. <laughs> There's all of these different differentiating factors, and that's why organisations get established with the same purpose, with the purpose of having a focus. Because unfortunately, we can't solve all the problems, but we can try and jointly solve the root cause of those problems. As part of our value offer, so I hope I'm assisting yeah, with yeah. that, and and that's why we, we 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 exist as as a mandate. We support the inclusion of those black businesses as a service offer, but as a philosophy, we are just the same like push, just the same like we um, and we tap into to, to our network that has a similar focus globally on minority businesses who are also then part of a broader network of gender based um, as well as um, small business I mean there's, there's veteran owned organizations. But it's all about the same philosophy. You're helping to drive that change um, through procurement
6: practices. Sorry so your question actually well yeah on on but maybe, maybe I, I'm explaining to you how, you how it's magic- done. But the other one was the code of conduct, sort of the criteria. Yes. So would an organization such as SASDC, for example, develop a list of criteria and then if a business complies with that then get the step, the big step. Um. Okay, what we what we have is our certification
3: process focuses on criteria related to the to private and services. Um, and through the accreditation or verification and, and we're not a verification agent through the certification that we connect us, they, they take similar factors but bring in the gender issue and I'm sure Push will be looking at um, a, a, a certification process as well um, and, and that's how they measure it actually, in other parts of the world they companies have an affiliation with organisations that drive specific sector, minority group inclusions, and through the certification that is provided to the beneficiaries or the targeted groups within those segments, they are able to then report on their spend. So a company like um, Accenture and Ernst & Young in the US, they are affiliated to WeBank, WeConnect, the NMSDC, the SASDC, uh, um, other councils driving supply diversity and inclusion um, in all, all parts of the world, and they don't they don't count the BE certificate. They actually count, as part of their diversity spend, the certificates that have been issued by organizations such as ours, such as Push, will be having. And that's how they know how much they are spending. So it, that's the, the role that we play um, as organizations to support those inclusive practices. I hope I answered your question on, the, on that. And, and that it's very important what has been said it's around collaboration there is so little resources that are available and so little time to drive the change that we need for that we have to capitalise on working together because it is the same thing that we are targeting we target the lack of opportunity as a result of conscious and unconscious discrimination within our society and therefore we all focus on specific things but it's the common common, common element that we find that's
1: yeah, it yeah. perhaps if you could answer the question around your output you yeah,
7: yeah just advice advice um, how do we how do we
1: advise a shell, shell EY yeah. Yeah.
7: yeah. you hire me uh, no okay so it's a very but, huge in terms but, of confusion um, and diversity right but uh,
4: so I think it's, it's it's one of two things. It's about one uh, being very direct about you know making the, your, yourselves visible to the particular market. So are you communicating this call to, on the specific platforms that are? So we've been out, know, out on social right media, and we've been
7: in out the, internally, externally. Um, so but we've missed out, out on right capitalizing on tapping into the pink mm-hmm. brand, which which I know our CEO would love to. Um, but so hence I'm saying maybe our messaging wasn't as direct but when do we cross that personal respect and Look, so... I mean, I, 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 would, think, I would say it mean, sounds like you're going to put out an
4: saying we are looking for a gay IT person yeah. you know, you are, and what you're saying is we had a call out for suppliers to yeah. part of our enterprise development uh, program and part of those people you were looking to recruit uh, would have been LGBTI, and that's what I'm saying. I would have, I would have then thought the ideal places, make yourself visible within the specific yes. media that targets LGBTI people, mm. uh, and then second to that, you then find, create visibility for yourselves within LGBTI spaces, because like I said earlier, what I mean by people work with people that they like, is if I see that Accenture is an LGBT uh, you know, a company that reaches out to LGBT people, I'm more inclined to look out for you, look at opportunities where I can collaborate or work with you or, you know, send out a CV or whatever the case is.
3: Um, yeah. And now you can inverse. Yes. I
2: just to say that, I think our challenge that
7: don't know, where to go,
2: you know. That's, That's the thing. A I feel push. like this is the forum that we're trying to establish. Yeah. This, this is yeah. we're trying to connect these two parties. Connecting these two parties is what Plus is trying to achieve. Yeah. So, Plus. Plus. I mean Plus. if we if we are going to be measured by make sure you advertise on this or that or this because you know it's so difficult for somebody who's not in the community to know exactly where to go.
0: This is Gay SA Radio's coverage of the South African LGBTI Business Summit.